I'm going to switch things around a little bit this week. Uh, we're going to look at the gospel lesson as our reading and then the Old Testament text for our sermon text. But first, we're going to look at Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Luke 13, 31 to 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord. And then our sermon text will be the Old Testament reading for this Sunday. It comes from Genesis chapter 15. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 and then skip to 17 to 21. So Genesis 15, 1 to 12 and 17 to 21. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, being Abram, believed the Lord and he counted to him, he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And now we're going to skip down to 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river from." From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. So this is a little different for making a contractually 
uh, obligated agreement between two parties than what uh, we're used to. We're used to uh, lawyers and pens and paper and maybe a handshake. And what, uh, what we read about today sounds more like some sort of uh, animal cruelty than uh, forming a covenant relationship. Uh, we don't use the word covenant a whole lot in our everyday common language, but we get the gist. Uh, we tend to use the word when two parties are making not just a business deal or a business transaction or agreement, but something that has a little more solemnity to it, right? That's why we don't call it the marriage contract. We call it the marriage covenant, right? In biblical terms, a covenant formally binds two parties together in a relationship with one another on the basis of mutual personal commitment with consequences for keeping or breaking the covenant commitment. Now, God makes this kind of covenant with a group of people by covenanting with one representative who represents the people. Everyone else then experiences uh, the covenant by virtue of being included in that covenant representative. But keep this in mind, being in the covenant representative includes both the blessings of that covenant and, of course, the curses of that covenant when it is broken. And the five covenants, the five main covenants that God makes with mankind through a covenant representative, you know them, but just in case, we'll go through them quickly. Of course, the first is with Adam. It is then reaffirmed in Noah. It is then expanded to include all nations here with Father Abraham. It is reconstituted as a nation delivered out of slavery in Egypt in Moses, It is made into a kingdom with a king in David. And then, of course, all the covenants are all wrapped up all together and consummated in their fullness in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. These are your five covenant heads. So the covenant with Abraham, how did it come about? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, uh, when Abraham is still called Abram, and he lives in a place called Haran with his wife Sarai, And his nephew Lot, that God comes to him and calls to Abram and says, If you'll leave this place and go to this other place called Canaan, I will bless you. And in fact, I'm going to make your name great, greater than all the nations. And from you, I'm going to make a great nation that will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And Abram says, All right, sounds like a pretty sweet deal. Let's go. And Abram is 75 years old when God calls him at this point to follow him to the land of Canaan. And when we get here to Genesis 15, 10 years have passed. Abram is now 85 years old, and God comes to Abe again with a word of encouragement. Hey, remember me? Don't be afraid. Fear not. And Abram's response, really? (laughs) Really? Really, God? If that's so, then how am I going to be a source of this great nation, more than the sand on the seashore, if I don't even have a child of my own? I have no heir. The closest I got is this Eliezer of Damascus, who I'm sure is a great guy and all, but he is a servant foreigner that I will have to adopt into my household. You say you'll bless me, but it sure doesn't seem like it. And so, 
God speaks. In verse 4, he assures Abram again of his promise. He tells Abram to go outside and look at the night sky and try to number all the stars in the sky if he is able to number them. And reassures him, this is how many descendants will come from you. And it says there in verse 6 that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith in God's promises made him righteous before God. But hold on. What good is it to have all these descendants, all these people who are going to come after me if they don't got a place to live, if they don't have a land to call their own? And so God promises, verse 7, he's going to give them a land, a land that they will inherit, a land that they will inhabit, and to be their own. And again, Abram says, that sounds great and all, but how am I to know? How will I know that this is going to come to pass? Even after it said that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, he still wants assurances that God's promises will be fulfilled. And God says, okay, Abe, you want assurances my promises will come true? Let's make a deal. Let's cut a deal and let's make it in blood. And so, in verse 9 through 10, is where it starts to get grisly, right? Abram goes, and he collects these animals, and he brings them to this place, and he cuts them all in half, and takes the pieces and spreads them out on the ground. So this is how covenant deals worked in the ancient Near East, in case you didn't know. There's no pen, there's no paper. You cut animals in half. And then the two parties who are making this covenant agreement agree to walk down the middle in between the pieces, the animal pieces that have been separated and pulled apart on the side there. And in essence, what you're saying is, if I break my covenant responsibility, then let it be done unto me what has been done to these animals. If I break my covenant responsibility, let me be torn in two. And if you break... Your covenant responsibilities, let you be be torn into. Let it be done to you what has been done to these animals. But here's the thing. Abram doesn't walk through in between the animal pieces. It says in verse 12 that he falls asleep, that actually a deep sleep falls upon him, a dead-to-the-world kind of sleep. I got to experience this two Fridays ago when I got this repaired. It was the first time that I ever had surgery like that, and they, you know, they bring me into the room where uh, they're going to do the operation. They put me up there on the, on the fancy little chair, and the anesthesiologist comes in, and she says, all right, Mr. Stedman, I'm going to give you something just to relax you a little bit before your procedure. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Here comes the good stuff. I'm about to feel real happy. And she's like, all right, here it comes. Three, two, one, bam. I was out. She didn't just relax me. She just put me right out. It was like a light switch was flipped and everything went black. And the next thing I know, I wake up hours later in recovery, right? Without knowing anything that has gone on for the last few hours. I mean, it's like I died in a way. And the same is true with Abram. In a sense, he is experiencing a type of death. And while he's dead... While he is put to sleep, in verse 17, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. 
Abram doesn't pass between these pieces. The smoking pot and a flaming torch. What in the world could that possibly be? Well, think about the times in the Old Testament that God appears to certain covenant representatives, right? When he appears to the next covenant representative, Moses, out in the desert wilderness, again, what does he appear as? Flaming bush, right? Or when he leads Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Or when God's presence is said to fill the first temple, Solomon's temple. How do, what does God's presence manifest itself as in this temple? But a giant cloud of smoke. So who passes between these pieces laid out, these dead animal pieces laid out on the ground? Only God does. Only God passes between the pieces. And in verse 18, it says that God made a covenant. And if you look at the original Hebrew words that Grammar is actually to not just made a covenant, it's called he cut a covenant. Similar to how we use the expression, we cut a deal, right? Sealed it with blood, and because God is the only one who passes between the animal pieces, God is saying, if I fail to keep this covenant, let it be done unto me what has been done to these animals. If I fail to keep up the covenant, let me be torn in two. And if you fail to keep this covenant, let it be done unto me, as it has been done to these animals. If I fail, let me be torn in two. If you fail, let me be torn in two. Abe wants to know how, if, these outstanding promises God made to him are actually going to work out. And God says, well, it's not because you're going to keep up your end of the bargain. So I've already taken care of that. And that's why Abram slept. He died. There's nothing he could do. It is only by God's grace that God keeps up both ends of the bargain does the covenant with mankind have any hope of success. We failed. As the New Testament writers write, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. We cannot uphold our responsibility to the covenant. We not only fail to keep up our end of the bargain, we actively resist God's covenant love at times. I mean, think about our gospel reading today. What did Jesus say when he uh, ministers to the people? That too often we are the city just like them that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. Well, the good news is, when we failed the covenant, Jesus took the punishment on our behalf. Jesus was cut to pieces on the cross For our failing to keep up our end of the deal, Jesus took our penalty so that God's covenant promises could still succeed. The deal cut in blood was paid by the precious blood of our Savior. So that this promise to Abram, that through this man of the covenant, all the people of the earth could be blessed, could still happen. Because Jesus is that promised covenant child in whom all the nations of the world 
will be blessed. And Jesus, do many sons and daughters as numerous as the stars in the sky come to dwell in the land of God's promise. Now I want you to notice something about this as we close. I want to go back to verse 6 where it says that Abram believed God and so God counted it, that belief, towards Abram as righteousness. That Abram's belief in God's promises gave him right standing before God. Did you notice what Abram's faith was like? If you know his whole story, do you know what his faith is like? It's not exactly just rock steady solid, right? I mean, he's kind of sarcastic, maybe, in his response. I mean, really? You're going to give me this great reward? Oh, I don't even have a child. All I got is this Eliezer dude. Huh. It seems that way. And it is true that Abram, throughout the course of his relationship as being the covenant representative of God's people with God, makes some very highly questionable decisions, hasty decisions at times. But I want to propose to you that in this moment, in Genesis 15, that Abe, what Abe, Abraham is doing wasn't actually sarcasm or cynicism. That what Abram was doing was lament. It's what we are trying to do every Lenten season. Calling upon God to see that not all is right in this world. And we need God to act just as he promises to do. Abram is just like us as we travel this Lenten season with Jesus to the cross of Good Friday. We believe, but we question. We trust, but we doubt. We see what God is showing us, and yet we are still looking for certainty out here in this wilderness, out here in this darkness. I believe your promises, God, but I see a lot of darkness still, a lot of emptiness, jobs lost, loved ones get sick, we encounter financial struggles, loved ones die, children endure hardships, relationships are strained and broken, and of course, there is bloodshed and violence and war. And you know what? That's okay. Because it's in those exact places that we begin to see that the only thing in this life that is certain is God and His faithfulness to His promises. That God is always responding. That God is always keeping His end of the deal and the bargain. He is always present with us in the wilderness, in the darkness, even if the answer is that there is no way out or around or under, but the only way out is through, He is still with us through it. Our Lenten lamentation as we pray like our father Abram, I believe you, God. You desire to bless us, but there's a lot of things wrong, and we need you to act. And we need God to help us, like Abram, like Jesus, to embrace the reality that the path to healing, the paths to reconciliation, the paths to new life, the path to rebirth, the path to resurrection, only and always goes through death.
This is the universal pattern. But we know, and we pray, and we lament, and we cry out for God to still make good on His covenant that He made to bless us. And even though we failed to keep up our end of the bargain, we trust His promise is still good in our King and Savior who kept up His end of the deal and paid the price with His own blood. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.